This morning I preached you the gospel of Jesus Christ as we read it in Micah, chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. Received one of the black Bibles. It's uh, page 778. Micah is one of the minor prophets. Micah chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of God. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And that day declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come. Kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when you travel around the world and you have an opportunity to worship God in different places in the world, uh, you get a a clear understanding of the size of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And every place you go, you find people like we are uh, who look at the church and see it as a very small thing, sometimes very weak everywhere around the world. Christians recognize that the church is just a small part of their society. It's small and it's weak. When we see the church in all places as one holy Catholic Church of Jesus Christ, then the church that we can't see in its entirety, but we believe in faith, then we begin to get an idea of what Micah is prophesying in the passage we just read. We can see the church today is the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy in Micah 4, which is actually exactly the same as Isaiah. Isaiah spoke the exact same words in chapter 2 verses 2 to 4. And when you compare these passages, this prophecy of the future church in Micah and Isaiah, you'll see that both the prophecies, they follow, uh, they're found in the context of God's anger 
and condemnation of rich oppressors, people who uh, hate the church. And so even as we have our Bibles open and we move our eyes from what we heard last week in Micah 1 to 3, Micah 3, uh, going into chapter 4, we can recognize there's a drastic difference in the tone. Micah 1 to 3 was a divine court case that revealed that the covenant people would be sent into exile because God could see the way that they were oppressing one another and God hated it. And in Micah 4, and you can look and see that in chapter, verse 1, it starts to speak about the latter days. The latter days. It's a, it's a glorious promise of everlasting peace in God. And we wonder, what, what, what's the difference? What happened between Micah 3, verse 12, and Micah 4, verse 1? And that's why we read Jeremiah 26, verses 16 to 19. We could see one of the a possible explanation for the change in the tone. For here we learn that many years after this prophecy of Micah 3 verse 12, Jeremiah was in the land. He was preaching the exact same thing to the people of Israel. And the king was very angry, Jehoiakim, and he wanted to kill Jeremiah for saying what Micah, Isaiah, had said. And then we read it together. And there we see that the elders and the officials at that time said, hang on a second. Back in the days when Micah said this prophecy, King Hezekiah didn't try to kill him. He repented and God relented. The Lord cared about the distress of the faithful. And he cared for those who repented of their sins. And he made it clear that he would not destroy those who repented from their sins. The message of hope for the future is the great promise, a great encouragement for everyone uh, who stopped living in their selfishness and in their greed, who repented and who submitted themselves to the Lord and his kingdom. Micah chapter 4 is, is looking at this type of person. Such people can know that God would raise up a glorious kingdom out of, out of the dust of the ruins of the temple. And when we look at this promise through the, the eyes of the New Testament revelation, we know that Jesus Christ is at the center of this promise. Since he said himself, he said, I fulfill the temple. And Jesus Christ himself said, I am the new and the living way to God in heaven. The promise of Micah 4 is for all who repent and who serve the Lord in God's kingdom and who could see that his kingdom would become great in Jesus Christ. When we believe in him today, we may also receive the benefits that we read in our text, the benefits of this international kingdom. And I preach you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme in Christ the Lord is gathering an international kingdom from Mount Zion, from his throne in Zion. And we'll see three aspects of this international subjects or citizens, uh, international law, and international peace. When you look at Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, in its context, you can see uh, that the first eight verses are talking about what would happen in latter days, in later times. 
And when we look at Scripture to see what that means, we, we can see that this is a way in the Old Testament, a way of speaking about the times of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you get to the New Testament and you read Hebrews 1 verse 2 and you read Acts 2 verse 17, it's a time, the latter days are the time when Jesus Christ is in the center, when, when God speaks to us through Christ, when God pours out his spirit upon us. In Micah 4 verse 1 to 8, the Lord is revealing what he would do in the days of his son and through the working of his Holy Spirit. Micah says that in the latter days, this kingdom of God, and then we recognize that it's the kingdom that we are a part of as members of the church of Jesus Christ today. This kingdom of God of, of which we are a part is being compared to, to a mountain rising up out of the dust. We can picture that, I think, a mountain rising up out of the ruins of a city. And the lifting up of, of the mountain of the house of the Lord that points to its dignity, its preeminence. Zion serves as the throne of the eternal King, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. And Micah tells us that there will be many visitors to this throne. And when you think about visitors visiting a king, what, what do you think of from the Old Testament? Perhaps you think of the visitors that King David received. He was on his throne and, and all the, de the defeated nations would come and they would bring their tribute to King David. Or perhaps you think of King Solomon. King Solomon had that great visitor, the Queen of Sheba. She just wanted to come and see his wisdom, see his, his glory and his dignity. I think when we look at our passage, it's the second type of visitor that Micah is describing. He says that, that the kind of visitors that the Holy Spirit promises were the kind that recognized the greatness of the kingdom of God. Micah's prophecy is pointing to people like the Magi, the Magi we read in, uh, in Matthew who came from the east with, with presents because they recognized the importance of the newborn king. Micah's prophecy is pointing to people like you and, and I who are here today at the foot of God's throne. Why? Because we can see his glory. We can see his, his majesty his wisdom and his brilliance. We want to glorify him. We recognize him as, as king. Yes, brothers and sisters, you are, are there. You're there in this plan of God, in this prophecy. You're there together with those fellow believers in that flow, it sounds like a river, the flow of peoples going to worship at the footstool of the Lord. You are a part of that flow of people. God is carrying out his plans, and, and you're a part of them. The Lord tells us that peoples and many nations would come. It's a promise. It's a statement that gives us unassailable con uh, confidence in our work of mission. The Lord tells us the kingdom of God will grow. It will grow like that, that little rock in the, the vision that Daniel had that, that grew bigger and bigger until it, it filled the whole earth. The Lord describes his kingdom as being made up of peoples 
and nations. And in this way, he teaches us that we must have a, a national view of mission, of evangelism. In the Great Commission, that's in Matthew 28, the Lord Jesus didn't tell us to, to be content with making a few people Christians in the nations, but he told his church to disciple nations. Nations is the object of the word, the verb disciple. The Lord Jesus told the church to be national in their work, to, to, to have a global movement. And that's exactly what Paul preached to Christians when he preached the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, to the, the, when he spoke to the Gentiles, or the people who came from non-Jewish backgrounds in Ephesians 2, verse 13, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And as we read that passage, brothers and sisters, I think your hearts too were trembling with the excitement of seeing what Paul was describing. He was talking of the, of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ that reconciles nations with, with the Lord Almighty in one body. And so today we can preach peace to those who are far off and we can preach peace to those who are near. And as we immerse ourselves in, in the flow of worshipers before the throne of the Almighty God, we fulfill God's prophetic command when we are busy calling our nation, Canada, calling our nation from the smallest village to the largest city to come to the mountain of the Lord. And do you see that? There's an invitation in our passage in verse 2. What were these nations saying? Look at that invitation. In the first place, we see how the, the church of Christ makes it known to the world that they are going to see the Lord. They're not ashamed of this desire. As the flow of, of, of people is going to the throne, they, they tell, I'm going to worship the Lord. Okay, what does that look like today, you ask? It means that your colleagues, your neighbors, People around you, employees, employers, they know that you are a Christian. We let the world know where we are going when we use the technology that's available to us to, to, to let the world know where to go to hear the truth. The message is that, like we read in Ephesians 2 verse 18, that through Christ we have access in one spirit to the Father. That's a great message to tell the world. We're going to worship at the throne of the Almighty King, the Eternal King. And then we look around us and we say, come. That's the second thing to notice. We don't say go. We say come. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go together. You see that in the passage? Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Let's be fellow citizens with the saints. Let's go together. And so we walk with those around us and we, and we walk with them to show the greatness of the throne of our God. And brothers and sisters, as we read this, as we recognize where we, where we fit in this picture, the, the questions should be coming into our minds. Uh, do I have this confidence 
in my Lord Jesus Christ? Do I recognize him as the eternal king? Do I live with this national vision? Do I have this love for my neighbor who is beside me? Or do I hoard my wealth? Do I hoard what I know and just keep it for myself? Do I live as if the church is, is within these walls? It's just for me. A lot of people do, that's true. The Lord tells us that in that day we'll, we'll extend the invitation. God promised that the nations would come. We do it with confidence. And those who truly understand the riches of the faith that they profess will know what a, what a blessing Jesus Christ is for your neighbor. And in compassion, you will extend the invitation. Come and see. Come and see what you are longing for in your heart, what the nations are longing for. Come and hear the absolute truth, the most wonderful instruction in all the world and in all history. Come and see God's international law. We see that mountain rising up with the throne of, of God on it in, in the vision, in, in, in the prophecy, I should say, of Micah that also points to God's authority in all in all the earth. He is the Lord of all truth. We have the, the picture of the mountain of the Lord rising up out of the dust of exile and, and out of weakness. And as it's rising up, the, the, the law of the Lord is flowing down from the heights, flowing down in toward the world like rushing torrents of water. And then we see that the Lord is teaching that it's through the word that the Lord blesses the families of the earth like he promised to Abraham. In his wisdom, the Lord decided to, to spread his word in the world through heralds that he sent out to preach. That's, why, that's the first way that the church makes the law of the Lord known. That word is flowing. We are that word flowing out into the world. We do that first place through mission. And so Micah is prefiguring, anticipating what our Lord Jesus would tell his disciples in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples uh, and disciple all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See that, that, that word, the law is central. In the, in the outgoing preaching of God's amazing glory. The second way that the church makes the law of the Lord known is in, also we see it in verse five. It's the way we walk, the way we live our lives. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. We're walking in the name of the Lord our God. Micah is, is teaching us what it means to be a Christian, that the law can be seen in, in us as we are walking. You could, God can, or the world can see that we have the stamp of divine wisdom right on our lives. It affects the way we walk. Paul says it in, in his way. He says, Christians keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So we stand out for being different from those around us. And as people can see that, the prophecy tells us that people will recognize that we are different. They will see that our God is different than their gods. 
Micah 4 verse uh, 2b explains in no uncertain terms that the people will want to go to the throne because the Holy Spirit works this desire in their hearts to want to walk in God's ways. Deuteronomy chapter 4, talking about the law of God, says that nations will, will recognize that we are different because we walk in the law. They will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. The Lord Jesus said that too. He says that in, in, in the world there are people who, who will hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Lord is promising also in the prophecy of Micah. People hungering and thirsting for the Holy Spirit. And then the Lord Jesus said, they will be satisfied. So how can all the nations benefit from their knowledge of the law fulfilled in Christ? The Lord declares that as king of the church, and here the church is called the remnant, sitting on his throne in Zion, verse three says, he shall judge between many peoples and he shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. When the word of the creator of heaven and earth, when that word reaches us and when that word is obeyed, it shows us how everything in the world works. The greatest difficulty that society has in determining what is right and what is wrong is an agreed upon basis or foundation. You see, when we look around the world, when we look at the newspapers, when we look at the debates that are taking place, it gets frustrating because no one can agree on what the basis is, what the truth is. Conflict is born because we have a different understanding of the truth. And these different worldviews often clash, whether they be religious worldviews or economic or, or even worldview about marriage and family. And then when you go to university or when you read the, 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 the media, a lot of the media today, the university professors, they, they, they will tell you that the solution to conflict, the way to have peace is to just let anybody do whatever they want, to not insist on any absolute truth, to withhold all judgment, and to be lovingly tolerant of, of any lifestyle, and to ignore any claims to truth. Don't wanna fight, don't take a stand. And if you take a stand, then you're just wanting to fight. And that sounds like a solution that may produce and promote peace. But in fact, I'm sure you've recognized already, it's, it's a contradiction. Because it is in itself a truth claim. Except that it's an anti-Christian, anti-divine law truth claim. It says there is no foundation. And then when we look at what this truth claim has caused today, you see that it's caused more violence and more fighting and more persecution in the church than we have ever seen before. And so in this context, brothers and sisters, the Lord says, my law will be the basis of peace. That's the gospel message for the world. There is absolute truth. There is one God, creator, who is infinite, who made the world. And he has shown us 
what, the, what is true. And he has shown us what is not true, what is an illusion. And when we look at this law and, and we stare at it in, in all its majesty, and then we see the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who, who came and who fulfilled that law in its perfection, the Lord Jesus Christ who is the, the epitome, the, the picture of love and peace. And when the Holy Spirit applies that law into our, our lives, we already see what peace will look like. And so now, when we invite our neighbors to hear to, to the throne room of God, we can say, come and see peace. Come and see what freedom and life and truth looks like. It was in God's law fulfilled by his son Jesus Christ and worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You can see it in Zion in the preaching, the transformed lives of God's children. When we submit to this gospel, we see peace. And that's the picture we have also in verses three and, and, and four, the pictures of peace. You see, when our Lord Jesus was born, the shepherds, in the field, they hailed his coming as a time when peace would fill the earth. We, we saw that in, on the screen as we walked in, Luke 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the Lord Jesus came and he fulfilled the law, he also poured out his peace upon the earth. And what does that look like? Micah gives us two amazing pictures. We can look at them briefly and, and, and think about them and you can continue to think about it during the week. All the aspects of, of peace. The first is a picture of men who are beating their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Plowshares and pruning hooks are farming equipment. So we see that peace will be so certain and so thorough that it will not even be necessary to keep a gun in the closet, to keep some weapons spared on the side just in case that there'll be, in case there'll be war in the future. It's, it's a full out commitment to peace. God promises that his kingdom, when his kingdom comes, there will come a time when military equipment will be turned into farming equipment. The tank will be turned into a combine, never to be a tank again. The fighter jet, a crop duster, and the warship, a cruise ship. The army will be unnecessary. Military training, completely unnecessary. You don't need to learn karate anymore because there'll never be a time for war. Not today, not in the future, not ever. The law of God will be the one rule so that the world will be brought back to the peace of paradise when men and women walked in peace with God and with their neighbor. The second picture in our text is that of every man sitting beneath his vine and fig tree where no one will make them afraid. You can see that already as a promise in Leviticus 26 verse six, a time of no fear. The picture gives the assurance of personal property, inheritance in the land of God each to his own, each under his own vine and fig tree. And you also get the picture that there'll be no need to, to, de to defend against thieves and greedy real estate barons or enemy nations as, as we read in Micah 2 verse 2. God promises us that in his kingdom, 
as it was in the days of peace and prosperity and when Solomon was king. There will be no need for walls, no need to lock the doors on your house or on your car. There will be no need for keys or security cameras or police officers because there will simply be nothing to fear. We who live in Canada actually have a pretty good sense of, of living without a lot of fear. Travel the world, and this is almost unimaginable. It's an amazing picture to think of. And that's kind of a problem, isn't it? It is such an amazing picture to think of. We say, well, is this just gobbledygook? Is this just unrealistic talk? Is this religious speak that has nothing to do with who I am? We can't even imagine such peace. But since we read the same thing in Isaiah's prophecy, and verse four confirms it, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken, we can be sure that this is exactly what we can expect. So when will it happen? Where can we see this peace already today? Micah 6 verses 4 to 8 gives further details about that day. We see that God promises to gather a remnant from among the nations. He promises that he will take the, the halting and the weak, the afflicted and the poor, and he will make them a strong nation. He says kingship will return to the daughter of Jerusalem. And the first thing that these verses teach us is that universal peace is a, is a final goal. It's not something that we will be able to see right away. There's no contradiction in our text between what the Lord Jesus says about wars and rumors of wars and persecution and violence and the peace of our text. Micah told us to look for a process in which God would be gathering his church from among the weak, among the submissive, among the repentants, through time until that day that is pointed to in 1 Corinthians 15 when God will be all in all. So where do we see the peace today among the remnant? You see the peace today in the church. You, brothers and sisters, represent the peace of God in Christ Jesus. Among you, there will be no fighting. Among you, redeemed and renewed by the Spirit, you don't have to fear what someone else may say to you or how someone else should attack you. Romans 12, verse 14 to 21 shows that when the Holy Spirit applies the law of life to the lives of redeemed Christians, then they will bless those who persecute them. They will live in harmony with one another. They will associate with the lowly in humility. And if possible, says the apostle, as long as it depends on them, they will live peaceably with all. And brothers and sisters, this is a reality we can see today. This is your way of life. This is what it is to be the church of our God. And the message is that already now, in that growing international church where God's name is glorified and his son embraced, you will already see that peace. Paul says in Colossians 3, verses 11 to 15, that in the universal church that is prophesied in our text, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So love binds together all the Christian virtues. And then he says those words, may the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called as one body. Brothers and sisters, think 
about your lives. Think about that work of the Spirit in your heart. Think about your desires. You're part of that kingdom of peace. Do you reflect that as a light to those around you? Do your brothers and sisters in the church say there is a man of peace? There is a woman of peace touched in the heart by this gospel of Christ. After the judgment and after the the punishment for selfish greed that we saw in the first chapters, Micah points us to that universal kingdom that comes from the throne in Mount Zion. And by God's grace, you are a part of it. By God's grace, you are a member of Christ's church. Brothers and sisters, do not be disappointed about the weakness, about your own struggles. See the glory of that church of which you are a part. And look to those around you who don't know. Let us walk with them. Let us call them to see the glory of our God. And may you rejoice in this church, in this work of God, with your heart and your soul, your mind and your strength. Amen. We'll now sing together hymn 19. Hymn 19 as a promise of our Lord Jesus Christ as the Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And again, this whole hymn we sing together because it starts with the darkness and, and the punishment, but in that context, the light of the gospel shines. So hymn 19, standing if you're able to stand.